0: We do want to welcome all of you, thanks for coming today, and and uh, all of you folks over in the venue, and anybody online, and, and Rick, if you're still awake, I think it's about 1.30 over in India, hi, and uh, we miss you, can't wait till you're back, but uh, we're going to lift up the Lord today, we trust, as we look into a portion of his word, as we answer the question, what happens at midnight? <clears throat> I remember when we were a small boy, we were... Um, We would crawl up on the Davenport, and that kind of labels how old I am. And um, we would uh, sit next to my dad and mom, and and they would read us a Bible story in the evenings. And our Bible books always had a picture on the left-hand side and the right in the right. And I'll never forget, uh, I love pictures. And we would sit there, and as they read the story, we'd look at the pictures. And this is one of the stories that my father and mother would read. And as a small boy, uh, it was very foreboding to me. I I didn't like this story, and the reason I didn't like it because the picture shows uh, these 10 ladies, and some in the wedding party were on the inside, and some were on the outside knocking, and they had no oil in their lamps, and it was just so final. Well, folks, it really is, and I'm going to read, you can have it in your notes, but in Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read the 13 verses of what happens at midnight. At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, Go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door went shut. Later the others came also, Lord, Lord, they said, open up the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch. Because you do not know the day or the hour. Pretty final, isn't it? I want you to imagine that you're with your family, and you're at San Francisco, and you've gone to the museum and the planetarium. You've been there all day, and it's getting dark, and it's getting very late. As you gather your family together, and you go outside, and you walk a distance of about a quarter mile to your car in the dark... As you get closer to your car, you notice something by the front tire and you the father as you get close, you notice it's a man and he's laying there bleeding and as you kneel down beside him, you recognize that this man is probably just a few moments away from his midnight and he reaches up and he grabs your coat and he looks into your eyes and he says I'm lost and I'm, I'm dying, I've been stabbed, can you help me? What are you going to say? What would you say to that dying man? Maybe that morning you were reading the Bible, and this is the other verse we have here in 1 Peter 3 and 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have within you. And you're a believer. You've been born again and you have the hope within you. What are you going to say? Because what you say to that man may make the difference of where he spends eternity. Jesus says, I am the door. What side are you on? One door, only one, yet its sides are two. Inside or outside, What side are you? And there's a man laying there. What are you going to say to this man? I want you to think about that today. And what comes to your mind when you hear the word midnight? Curfew? Dark? Lonely? Scary? What comes to your mind when you think about midnight? And you see, as you look in the scripture, there's 14 times we looked it up that midnight is used in the Bible. And just about every single time when that word midnight is used, it is talking about a decision to be made, a judgment to come, a power of choice. Just like in Exodus 12 when the death angel was flying through the land at Egypt. And if you didn't have the blood on your doorpost, and it went by at midnight, the Bible says, and at midnight the firstborn is going to die. The Bible says in Judges 16 that Samson at midnight tore down the gates there at Gaza and carried them on his back all the way to Hebron at midnight. The Bible says in Acts 16 that Paul and Silas were in a jail and in a prison and they lifted up their voices and they sang and the angel came at midnight and released them. I'm thinking about a lady, 1 Kings 3. She sneaks into a room with her dead baby in her hands and she sees a live one in the same room. She exchanges the babies. She takes the live one and the Bible says at midnight that judgment came. Solomon brought judgment to that lady. At midnight, And every time midnight is brought, there is a choice to be made, and it says it right here. At midnight, it is a pivotal point for these ten virgins as they came in there, and they're either going to be on the inside or the outside at midnight. What about you today that have been born again and redeemed Bible has 3,000 some scriptures for you that have been redeemed. They're all promises. Whatever belongs to the Redeemer belongs to you, the redeemed. There are thousands of scriptures in this Bible that belong to you. Does that give you a hope today? The Bible says in Colossians that we have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Peter says, if you have that great hope, If you are a partaker of his divine nature, do you share that hope? Why don't we? Enough. Peter says here to be ready to share that hope and give a reason. And so the question comes to me, and I hope it comes to you today. Do I care enough to know enough to share enough to those that don't know Jesus? Do you care enough to know enough to share enough to those that don't know Christ? Without Christ, the Bible will say there's no hope. And I just read 13 verses in a parable that should have us on the edge of our seats when we think about how final this is. I've been a Christian for 47 years And this story still is, it's unnerving. And now look at verse 6. What is the meaning of midnight here? The meaning is there's no more time or opportunity to come to Christ. When midnight struck for these ten ladies, no more time, no more opportunity. You see the ten is a representation of the visible church. This morning I am looking at the visible church. I have no clue, only God knows, who if he would come right now, who goes to heaven, who goes to hell. I trust that everybody here is saved, but I kind of doubt if that's true. This is the visible church. The ten virgins is a picture of the visible church. But when judgment comes and midnight comes, separation comes. For eternity. No hope. No preparation. And there's some of you sitting here this morning. And you have been coming and sitting with the wedding party for a lot of years. And you have no hope. Because you've never prepared. And I'm going to tell you why you have no hope. You have no hope because you have an empty life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you have an empty life. God has built us with a special uh, conscience that if you don't have His Son and Christ Jesus is not the joy factor of your life, you have a vacuum and a hole in your heart. It will never be filled with His presence until you come to Him. That's an empty life. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 22, all creation is groaning with no hope. And not only an empty life, but a lonely life. There's a lot of loneliness. I was at the mall the other day and, and waiting for an appointment. And I watched people going up and down the escalator. And some were grinning because they probably hadn't gotten to their store yet. And some looked wretched. Maybe they spent too much. I don't know. But you can sit in an airport or a mall and you can see a lot of loneliness on people's faces. Vision says in 2 and 12, you were without hope and you were without God. That makes you very, very lonely. And I remember before I came to Christ, I was dead, doomed, depraved, and damned, and I was lonely. And all maybe on the outside, I tried to fake people out, but I was lonely, folks. Folks. And I laid down my head at night and I was lonely. I had an empty life, I had a lonely life, and I had a guilty life. A guilty life, you have no hope. Don't let anybody tell you there's there's atheists. There's not such a thing as an atheist. Because I will trust what the word of God says. And my Bible says in Romans 1 and 21 that everybody that has ever been created, they knew God. They just rejected him. And then he gave them some of them. He gave over to a reprobate mind. But everybody is built to know that there is a creator. That's why the Bible says we are without excuse. You have a conscience. You have creation. You have the word of God. If you don't have the Bible, you have creation. If you're blind, you got a conscience. You are without excuse. And apart from Christ, it's empty, it's lonely, it's guilty. And we all know we've dropped the ball, haven't we? You may say, well, I'm not that bad. No, no, the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. The Bible says in Jeremiah, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And not only that, I believe there's fear filled lives. No hope because of fear filled lives. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 15, all of their lives, man is held in fear of slavery and death. And then I had to ask myself, how serious am I, as an adopted, born-again Christian, how serious am I about sharing the hope that I have within me? And then I had to think... And this is for all of us today. If you are born again today, and I hope this does trap on your toes because it hurt mine. If you are born again where you sit right now, you should have a passion and a hunger to share that salvation you have within. And if you don't care what has happened if you are not determined today to share Christ and you, the hope of glory, because you're born again, what's happened? Where has the determination gone? I will suggest that you've become distracted. If you are not determined today to share your hope, then you become distracted with the things of this life. It may be fun, it may be pleasure, you know what I'm talking about. We all get tangled up. Bible says in Timothy, don't get tangled up with the affairs of this life. Don't get entangled. We are in a war, folks. We are in a battle zone. And we are to run and fight this fight with patience. Midnight here in this story marked the end of an opportunity to ever get right with God. And I think this parable is for all of us today. A midnight that is inevitable. A midnight that is irrevocable. A midnight that is inescapable. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. No one in this building today will ever get out of life alive. Sorry. No one. Now, the rapture may come, but uh, that's going to be a midnight. But think about it. That's how serious it really is. And as you look at the story of the ten virgins here, or the ten maidens, it's a number of completion. Ten in the Bible is a number of completion. You've got the ten lepers, the ten talents, the ten I am sayings of Jesus Christ. You've got the ten commandments. You've got ten fingers, ten toes. It's just a number of completion. And so you got the visible church, there they are, but you're only completed then through Christ Jesus. Some here uh, very obvious, some were ready and some not. And in the Bible, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Five were born again, five were lost. And so what I'm saying this morning, if Christ would come right now, some would go. Some would stay. There's no middle ground here, and you may be coming out. You may may have been coming to church for many years and sitting with the wedding party, but you're not a part of it if you're not in Christ. So what he's saying here, and I do believe as you look at this and you look at the story of, of these women here, the heartbeat of Christ is revealed in the parable. He is saying here, some will be left, some will be lost. What does that do to you? I'm going to ask myself, because I am a Christian. How serious am I about 1 Peter here, where it says to give an answer of the hope? How serious am I about... Peter, where he says in another place that if you are saved to give diligence to make your calling and your salvation and your election sure, that you might be what? That you might share it with someone else. Why is it that our urgency has just slipped away here in America? And I think it comes back, we get distracted. And I think when you're distracted, folks, this is, is what he distracts you from. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands, but God knows right now. How much of the Bible did you read this week as a believer? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you died right now, you'd go to heaven. Is it the greatest thing in your life or not? And we let the love letter... Sit on the shelf. And our urgency goes away. So what happens when you stay out after midnight? Bible says in verse 10, 7 through 10, the door is shut. You may be thinking, Well, my God that I read about is a loving God, and He'll just open another door. You're right, he will, but it goes to hell. Outer darkness, bottomless pit. Jesus uses this word in a couple places. I was looking in Luke. He uses the word lost. Lost. Unspeakable sadness for these five. And what do you think about when you think about this curfew? Our home always had a curfew. And once midnight would come, the door is locked. And Paula... There were times you tried crawling through a window. (laughs) It didn't work. You and Lori, ha, ha, ha. And so they'd finally make it around to the front door, and then they'd bang away, and and then judgment came. (laughs) So what happens here in this passage when you stay out after midnight? One thing is, is lost opportunities will never be recalled. They were all invited, all invited to the feast. But once that midnight struck, those lost opportunities could never be recalled. And and you know, the five here that never shared their oil, they're not mean. It brings us to the second point. Salvation is non-transferable. My father was a believer. My grandfathers on both sides was a believer. Every time, Everybody in my life, it seems like, uh, being re- we were raised in a Christian family. I was totally stunned. The first time I ever went to a neighbor's house and they never prayed for a meal and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was just always raised with Jesus in prayer. Does that make me good? No. But when I came to Christ, now I'm perfectly forgiven. But I learned one time when I was 17 years old, I thought I would maybe make it into the coattails of grandpa and grandma and daddy and mother. But no, the Lord spoke to me. Romans 14, verse 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to Jesus. You're not going to go to heaven because you come to church. You're not going to go to heaven because you got baptized or you give You're not going to go to heaven if you were raised in a Christian family. You go to heaven through Christ. It is non-transferable. It can't be recalled. 1985, I got a call, and a good friend of mine that we used to work with down in Fresno, he called and says, my dad's dying. He doesn't know the Lord. Can you come down? And I got down there to a hospital out off Shaw, And Stan Stephens was laying on the bed, his family around him. Tom, his son, was saved. His wife wasn't. His girls were not saved. It was a very tense time. They didn't want me there. I didn't know what to say. I had the Lord in my life. I was even a pastor, a preacher then. I thought, man, what do you say with these people that don't want me here except for Stan? And there's something about when I grabbed his hand. I don't even know what I said. But I know one thing, whatever we said, these are the words that I heard from Stan. He said, Gordon, I believe everything you just told me. And he died. His midnight was that close. I came down the next week and did the funeral and the family didn't want me there except for Tom. And they wouldn't even let me go to the reception because they didn't want anything to do with Christ. I pray for that family. But it is so, the last one here the counsel are settled for all of eternity. And there's going to come a day that those that reject him, there's no excuse then. Have you ever run out of gas? Why? Why did you run out of gas? There are gas stations everywhere. I cannot stand to ride with somebody that has a, the thing is down on quarter tank. I will bug you until you pull over. I hate walking for gas. 500,000 people here in America run out of gas every year. Why? No preparation. You didn't think. It's a lot worse here, folks. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, it says today. Not three days from now. Today is the day of salvation. And if it's that serious, then we come to the question, what causes midnight to strike in your life? Two things. Rapture, death. Rapture or death will bring midnight to every one of us if the trump of God would sound, First Thessalonians 4, it says that the, how does that go? For the Lord himself shall descend with a shout and the voice of an archangel. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be with him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort yourselves with these words. That's the rapture. If that trumpet would sound right now, you would go to be with him. That is your midnight. If you die in an accident today, or you die of a heart attack this afternoon, that's your midnight death. And remember what we said, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Last week out at Good Sam's, not at Good Sam's, but with some of the people that are involved in a Bible study at Good Samaritan Ministries... If I have it right, just last week, two men, one accepted Jesus Christ and he died. He is in heaven today. One man right there said there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no Christ. He died. God be the judge. It's final, folks. It's for eternity. So the question comes, when will these two things happen? The answer is, I don't know. You don't either. Bible says in Deuteronomy that the secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed, they belong to us. What's revealed to us? It's the Word of God. It's how to know to come. It's how to live. It's how to share the gospel. Everything in this Bible, 783,000 words, is all about Him. We have everything we need, the Bible says in Peter. He says you have everything you need to come. And everybody has an appointment. I seen a sign the other day talking about the rapture. It says, Millions now living will never die. Well, that's true. If the rapture would happen, millions now living will never die. Somebody wrote beneath that sign, I like it even better, Millions now living are already dead. That's serious, isn't it? And there are people walking around today. And by the time we're done with this message, there's going to be 6,475 people die on this planet. I already Googled the death clock. Two die every second. 53 million a year. And in this 45 minutes, there's going to be over 6,400 people that is going into eternity with him or without him. So what's your attitude concerning midnight? There is no way, folks, that you can ignore the times we're living in. The Bible says in Luke 21 and 28 that when you see all of these things that we're witnessing beginning to come to pass, you look up and you lift up your head for your redemption is drawing very close at night. And we see it everywhere. It is not... The death rattle of Christianity. It is the birth pangs of Christian fulfilled prophecy and it's all through the word. One third of the scripture is about the Lord coming again. 12 hours before he climbed that cross, he says, I will come again. That makes it very serious. So what's our attitude about that? To the lost, he says, come unto me. He says that in uh, Matthew 11 and 28. Come unto me all you that are weak and heavy laden. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. That is free salvation. I will give you rest. Salvation is free. But the next part of that verse is not free. And then he says when you have come to me. You take my yoke upon you and you learn of me. And you shall find rest your souls that's the Christian life and the walk but the first is free to the lost he's saying today come unto me the greatest loving invitation you'll ever see is Christ on the cross his arms are wide open it's free folks you take the freeness out of salvation and you got religion and you got works and you got people gonna be banging on the door Lord Lord no it's free and then I'm going to ask to the believer today, what's your attitude? To the believer, he says, he that wins souls is very wise. Proverbs 11 and 30. I don't know, maybe there's somebody here today that you know if you're lost. Maybe you're thinking, of, hey, Rumble, I'm as good as you are. You're not perfect. No, I'm not, but I'm perfectly forgiven. Or maybe you might be thinking, well, I've got a good family and I can, remember what we said, it is non-transferable. You may live around a lot of good people, but it's non-transferable, folks. I remember working on the uh, east side years ago and I had uh, a really group of, of men that were awesome and, and just about all of them were saved. And I went, shame on me, I, I could not speak the language like I should have. I knew how to get them to work. And I knew when they were making fun of me, and that was about it. (laughs) But I remember one day, we had one of our men, and he hung around uh, Victor and Rufulio and all the ones that were saved. And he was a neat guy. His name was Mario. But I knew Mario and didn't know Jesus, because you can tell who the Christians are. And one day, he fell out of the tower and damaged his liver or spleen or whatever. And it was not a good thing. And I was very concerned he was going to die. And, folks, I didn't know what to do. Victor and them were gone, and Refugio, and I, I got him into the car. Didn't even call the ambulance. I got him over to Scenic. And I remember, I, and I'm ashamed, I should, I should know something enough in Spanish that I could share the gospel. And I don't. But I know a guy that does. And I called a man by the name of Bob, Bob Monroe. I'll never forget it, down in Monta Vista Chapel. I said, Bob, I'm over here at Scenic. I got a guy dying. He doesn't know the Lord. Can you come? And he came right away. By the time he got there, in the next couple days even, not only did Mario get saved, but all the ones that came up from Mexico, the family, the, the mom, the sisters, the dad, they all got saved. That was their midnight, his. And there's going to be times in your life that you may have to even think about the same thing, that when you have somebody you love so much, do everything you can to get them to Christ. You might be sitting here today and say, well, my sins are not that bad. I think I'm going to take my chances. Well, the Bible says that fools make a mock at sin. You may say, well, I've lived a good life and I treat others better than any Christian I've ever seen. And I give to the church and I do a lot of things. I'm an entrepreneur and I've given more than uh, all my neighbors that claim they're Christians. I do a lot of neat things. And I even read my Bible every day. Well, the Bible says in Titus 3 and 5, it's not by your works of righteousness that you've done. It's by His mercy that He saves us. I think when Christ comes in that day of judgment, Matthew 7 and 22 says there's going to be a lot of them saying, Lord, Lord, look what we've done. We have cast out demons. We've done all of these marvelous works. And folks, the ones leading the pack, banging on the door, are going to be religious, folks. God hates religion. He loves a relationship. And that's the only thing that separates us from all religions. Christianity is a relationship through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you again, do you care enough to share enough to lead somebody to the Lord? And then I'm going to add this. There's never going to be a proclamation that comes out of your heart or your lips until the Word of God is burning in your heart. If you don't spend any time in this precious love letter, which is alive and spiritual, you're never going to say anything for Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit is a lot better at this than we are. He is God. And you may think you know how to do something and share something, but no, until he opens your mouth and says it in a right way. We're just a bunch of spiritual spastics. That's all we are. There's nobody here saved anybody ever. You may share the gospel. You don't do the saving, folks. He does. But you'll never have the proclamation that comes from your lips because he's not going to let you if you don't know him. The Holy Spirit of God can only work with what you know. And if you don't know anything, shame. Because what you need to know is right here in the Word of God. Memorize the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It says converting the soul. Take the Scriptures of God. Hide them in your heart. My daughter learned the 119th Psalm. I'll guarantee you if she came up here right now, she couldn't say it. Does that make her bad? No, but I'll guarantee you something else. It's in her. And if the Holy Spirit ever wants to use it, it'll be there. And I have found out on my journey, there's been times I've been talking to somebody and bang, out of nowhere comes the Word of God, but somewhere I'd either memorized it or I read it and the Holy Spirit is so good at this. Yeah. Yeah. And there it was. Here's the key. It's not in your notes. It's very basic. I want you to write this down and I want you to memorize it. You want to be a witness for Christ? Here it is, three things. you got to know something. you got to say something. you got to be something. That is so simple. that I'm going to say it again. I want you to think about it. You've got to know something. Then you've got to say something. But you've got to be something. And the, ever, the only way you're ever going to know something is the Word of God. And the only way you're ever going to say it effectively is because of the Word of God. And the only way you're ever going to be something is because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's a suggestion I'm going to make to all of you, to the redeemed today. I think there is a time that you need to go through the roof. I think that you need to go through the roof. Go back and read in Mark, maybe it's chapter 2, about the four guys that came and they had a friend they loved so much. And they took this friend, they climbed up on top of a roof, they tore the roof apart, the four buddies let their buddy down in front of Jesus, and he got healed. And I think there's times that some of us need to go through the roof. And I'll tell you why you're not, because it's either a pride barrier, a sin barrier, or a self-pity barrier, or something's going on that's distracted you, and you don't have the passion that you should. I just talked to a gentleman after his last service and he says, I went through the roof. And he told me such a neat story. One of the guys that was working for him that wasn't saved, and he started doing this, and he went way out of his comfort zone, and he was finally told him about Jesus. God doesn't make mistakes. And you have the right people right now in this city at your place, at your workplace, at wherever it is, surrounded with the right people for you to speak to them. You don't make mistakes. You're not in the Amazon this morning. You're here. And he will lead you and he knows how to do it, folks. Just be ready to say something and be something. So when should a person give their life to Christ? It sounds very dumb, I know. One minute before you die. Well, I don't know when I'm going to die. Well, that's the point. That's the point. We don't know when we're going to meet our midnight. But the Bible says that when it does come, and if you don't know Christ, you'll be cast into outer darkness. Zephaniah puts it even worse. It says you'll be cast into gloomy outer darkness. 1967, my, my brother and I and cousin Donald went up to a, a cow palace. We were showing animals. And I remember one day we were, we were in the, the hog barn or something. And, and we got an announcement that down in the sheep barn there was going to be the world's greatest auctioneer was going to do, sell some sheep. And I love to hear auctioneers. I, the way they put words together, and, you know, all that. And it was so neat to get down there and hear this guy. It was so good. But I'll never forget how he ended every sale. After going real fast, yep, 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 doing all that, he goes, going, going. Going, gone, and the gavel came down. That's happening 6,000 times, like we said during this service across this planet. The gavel's coming down, and midnight is striking. When the gavel comes down, there's no recourse. So what's your attitude about that? September 3rd, 1998, an Airbus MD-11 left Nova Scotia, 230 people on board, 33,000 feet in the air over the Atlantic Ocean, and a fire broke out on that Airbus. They had 11 minutes before midnight. What do you think went on in that airplane? 230 people, none of them made it out alive. Zero. They knew that their midnight was coming. How many on there were saved? I don't know, but I like to think that if there was believers on that Airbus, then maybe they grabbed the hand of somebody next to them and they prayed with them. I don't know what's going on. But what do you think they were thinking about in that last 11 minutes? I'll tell you some things that were probably going on. Maybe quickly in their minds they were having some regrets. Maybe their regrets of maybe saying something to their family or their wife or children or somebody they should have reconciled. Maybe that was going through their minds. But I'll tell you what did not go through their minds. All 230, no one was thinking about anything temporal. No one was thinking, if I could have just slept around more, if I could have just had another 500,000 in all my checking accounts, if I could have just had this, if I could have just done this, if I could have just had more drugs, none of them are thinking that. Because we're all built the same. When it comes down to the seriousness of the moment, like Stan Steffens on the deathbed, you're thinking about eternity. And I like to think, God gave them 11 minutes and maybe someday we'll see all 230 in heaven. Why? That's the graciousness of our God. Because in those moments, maybe some re- still rejected him. But salvation, folks, is reduced to a simple call. And you find that in John 23, 42. Lord! Remember me. The thief on the cross was probably 11 minutes before he died. He looks over at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me. And the Lord looks back at him. He says, Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Salvation is just reduced to a response of the heart to Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's some of you here today that if you don't know him, I would make a final plea today. The Bible says in Hebrews, would you at least consider him? Because your midnight is going to come. And if you are serious about your life and you don't know if you have 11 minutes to live, we have an altar room right over here and there's going to be godly people in there that would love to pray with you and bring eternity in your hearts. By way of the Holy Ghost. If there's anybody here today that you've been a believer for years, and you say, I've been so distracted, I need prayer, there'll be people who'd love to pray with you there. Listen, folks, we're all in the same boat. I was in a restaurant this week, studying this message. The waitress comes up and says, why don't you smile? What do you think that made me feel like? I was just writing down, uh, know something, say something, be something. And I'm sitting here. (laughs) We're not always going to be upbeat, and I know that. But we need to have a conscious awareness, a keen conscious awareness that we do everything we can as we live this life to lift him up. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we just love your word, and we just a thousand, thousand thanks for sending your son that he was willing to die that makes a new life for us, a new creation created in him. Thank you, Father. If there's any family here today or any soul here today, Father, that needs you, we just pray that he makes a beeline to the foot of Calvary, that he can see you in a fresh way and have eternity changed forever. Father, I know there's probably a lot of believers here today, we get, we get pretty distracted, we get pretty dumbfounded, pretty excited about the things of this life, and before you know it, we're not looking upward anymore, we're just looking horizontal, and we just do not enjoy that. So Father, give us a passion today, a renewed interest of the Word of God that we could just seek it out daily, that we can in time, that we can know something to say something that we can continue to be something to lift you up to so many around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you folks.